Merry Christmas and welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And we are bringing to you today the Christmas episode. Now last year at this time we had the great Jimmy McConnell and we talked to him about Luke and this year we're just going to do Luke without Jimmy McConnell. Yeah, we're just going off the cuff. So cue the jingle bells. I don't have any. Yeah, we're not high production. I might find somebody, some like in the <laughs> in the iTunes or something, whatever whatever GarageBand uses, and like put them in the background. Sure. But I had to learn how to do that. But first. tastefully, not all, not the whole episode. Yes. <laughs> just every time we say a cuss word, or it seems like we're going to say a cuss word, but we don't. But that can make the listener think that we said a cuss word. Jingle bells. Yeah, because it's Christmas. That sounds good. We're probably not going to cuss. It's Christmas. Yeah. All right, so we are as Christmas as Christmas can be, and we are going to be in Luke, and Peter has asked if he could read, and so I'm going to, as if I'm in a position to tell him what to do, allow that. All right, permission received, and it's here my comes office. The That's the only authority I have. It's my office. All right, so this is a this is a uh, a passage of scripture that many families will get together and read this. Uh, Christmas Eve, or if that's a tradition in your family, I encourage that. Uh, I was recently invited to read this at a family gathering. Really? For no other reason than the fact that I'm a pastor, and they, they thought, well, the pastor can read the scripture. Always has to read, always has to pray. But the truth is that everyone can read scripture. At least that's our Protestant conviction. So listen now for the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. So, <clears throat> a couple things. Uh, and before we even get into Luke. Yes. Where do you want to start? Is it better just do that? Or is it better to take a little bit of Luke, a little bit of Matthew, kind of splice them in together, kind of have the kind of have the, the foreknowledge of John that Jesus has always been, but had to get into earth physically somehow, and then and then compose a tidy Christmas story? Or do we let the Gospels that tell very different but still the same stories stand alone? My preference is to keep the Gospels as separate as possible because I feel like they they are they are meant to achieve different purposes um, and usually the author gives you an instruction on what the purpose of the gospel is which Luke does in verse chapter 1 verse 4 yeah Luke just comes right so out so that it. you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught so uh, anyway the the gospels each have sort of a at least this is how i think most scholars understand these gospels is that they have a, a certain focus whether or not there's a specific community in mind there are probably specific problems mm -hmm. that they wanted to address and they address so with this narrative theology it's constructing a it's either kind of catechism like it's a way of training christians in what proper faith is yeah because we have to say that at the time that these were written there was also plenty of kind of heretical views of uh, christianity going mm -hmm. around so these gospels were prepared for training christians in a in a orthodox understanding of their faith through story one of the things that we were told in seminary i'll say we those i went to seminary with and maybe you were you probably were is that a gospel is not a history and it's not a biography it is a historical biography with an agenda hmm. with a religious agenda and in a way histories and biographies all have an agenda yeah because anything we put on paper does right but there there's a belief agenda at play sure the thing is that doesn't make it untrue mm -hmm. and so i agree with you that we should let the gospel stand alone because they're telling their story in fact i go further than that and say anything you read in the bible let it stand as alone as you can mm. let it tell its story you know don't try to amalgamate two different stories of the same thing into one story you say that word weird amalgamate <laughs> sorry <laughs> no that's okay but but do you ever have trouble with that like yes. keeping the story separate yes or like even when you're preaching do you feel like but there's this really important thing in Matthew that I would like to pull in. Yeah, like you want to say, and of course, you know, Joseph would get his own angel visit later. But, but he doesn't. But Luke doesn't give you that. No. Yeah. He doesn't even, not that I'm, I'm not aware that, that Joseph has any speaking role in the Gospel of Luke. I looked for it. He doesn't. I don't, that I know of either. Yeah. Absentee fathers. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't say he's absent. <laughs> he, he's there. He's there. We he's, don't know for how long. He's a strong, silent type. Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of that guy <laughs> okay. at my house. Yeah. 
Okay, so so let's try to. I mean, we'll try to just take the story where we find it, what we have before us, and not try to pull in any other thing, which is difficult because we, yeah, it, and even our hymns, oftentimes in the Methodist Church, anyway, amalgamate all of the stories so that one verse we're singing about true ma- true true god from true god light from light eternal which sounds very much like the entry to, of john the yes. first chapter of john yeah and then we'll also sing um a, a, a verse that will point to um shepherds draw nigh to gaze i didn't get the tone right on that one i don't even know what song you're singing so that's fine I believe it's a song. Anyway, so you've got the shepherds, you've got true light from true light. So you got Luke and John. And then you get, and then you talk about the magi. We too will thither bend our happy footsteps. We uh, kings from Orient are. Yeah. So then these these verses kind of like squeeze it together to make it think, make us think that there's just one story going on here. Not only that, but we all put Mary on a donkey, which comes from the proto-gospel of James. Really interesting, yeah, and, and a lot of the now, I, nativities. I, if she's going, oh yeah, gotta have her on a donkey. Yeah, but and and, and clarification. It's only fair. I mean, she's pregnant. You giving credit. Well, yeah, yeah. I assume there was some mechanism of getting her there because I currently reside in the same house with a pregnant woman, and I don't see her making a long journey afoot. Nazareth to Bethlehem is a long journey for, especially if you're walking, and it's mountainous. Uh, yeah, and even if you're. Uh, even if you had some sort of cart to ride in, I can't imagine the roads would be exactly smooth. It would be pretty jostling. Well, if I, I was pregnant, I think I'd prefer to walk. It, actually, really, I would get. I, well, I don't know about being pregnant, but that's what I was wondering. How, how can you make this decision? Because well, I am learning in for, this experience again yeah, yeah. to stop saying what I think I would want if I was pregnant. True, true. No, I'm just basing that based on experience I've heard of women, friends of mine who have been pregnant who have issues of nausea have, yeah. you know and like the 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 bumping of a of a horse-drawn cart if that was even an option for a poor uh, unwed mother like mary uh might have been and uh uncomfortable i don't know where i was gonna, where I was gonna go with this but uh, oh yeah yeah so credit where it's due i did not know off the top of my head that that came from the proto gospel of james i got that from Another teacher that's not Jimmy McConnell at Gardner Webb, Anna Seges Beale. Uh, she posted it on Facebook. She says her unpopular Christian opinions. Now, away from my digression, what were we talking about? We're going to get back. We were going to the actual story. Yeah, let's talk about this first section, the census. The census uh, that Caesar Augustus apparently issued a census to be taken of the entire Roman world. Uh, other translations say the entire world, which would be hard for Caesar Augustus to decree since he wasn't in charge of the entire world. I feel like when we read the Gospels, or the Bible really, not the Bible, the, the, the New Testament, when you hear world, you should read what Roman, known world. The known and world. as far as anyone in the Roman Empire cared, the Roman Empire was the world. That's kind of the, yeah, the, cent- the center point of the of the map at the time for those who were within this empire would be Rome. Mm-hmm. Israelites, um, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, would put Jerusalem at the center. 
And it's interesting, if you ever look at really old maps of the world, mm -hmm. um, think about when you look at them, if you see them next, if you were to draw a crosshairs, what's the center point of that map? Today's world maps, they end up somewhere kind of like um, in, the, in the Gulf area around Nigeria mm -hmm. and Cameroon, mm -hmm. right? But in the water, that's kind of the center of the map. But older maps, like intentionally or not, have like either Rome or Jerusalem at the center of the map, right? Because the world, that's the people who drew the map. That's what that was their frame of reference. Not only that, but whatever country the map was drawn in or for is usually the biggest country. Mm -hmm. Don't forget actual what's on the earth. Mm -hmm. But like if it was an English map, England is huge. Right, right. The uh, yeah. The projection is off. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Scale. I think there's something like that going on here too. Um, if I can make a parallel, uh, this census was the first one taken while the place was Quirinius was governor of Syria. This way of introducing a time period based on who was in charge is something we see in the Old Testament prophets all the time, and it's common in uh, other other uh, work, literature that we find in uh, the Roman world at the same time period. So it's a, it's a way of introducing kind of a story that's about to take place. You want to set the, 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 uh, the, you want to set the setting. But uh, how crazy is this, that everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in, Ju in Galilee of Judea to Beth from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. How many generations between David and Joseph? A lot. A lot. I think. Well, I, I don't want to tell you because then we're pulling Matthew in. Okay. Yeah. Well, there, there is a genealogy here, but I guess it's. It is different from Matthew's. It is well. different from Matthew's. Anyway, uh, genealogy of Jesus is in uh, chapter three, verse twenty-one and following. My, what I have heard estimated is approximately 500 years between David and Joseph. Court, let me ask you something. Do you know who your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was 500 years ago? I don't know who my grandfather was. Where did he live? Grandfather, great-great-great-great-great-great. <laughs> so here's the, here's the fun thing to follow up on that question, and I do have an answer for that, Okay. getting back to the loop. But, yeah. Um, but what do you do about bastards? Mm. You know? Yeah. Because you asked who my great, great, great. Well, my dad didn't know his dad. So yeah. who knows? Right. Uh, do they just not have to pay taxes? I don't know. It's a good It's a good loophole. That would be a good so, one. And suddenly bastards are coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> so uh, Everybody wants to two be one, things, as long as you don't have to pay taxes. It seems crazy. But remember, this is a tribal culture. Yeah. So and they so they're pretty their much, because they want to have a claim to the land, they they know which land to go to. Okay. And uh, it's kind of like, I don't want this to sound racist, but it is what it is. People really try hard to prove that there are a certain fraction of Cherokee around here. Okay. So that they can have a claim to some of Hera's money. You think that that might have something to do with like being in the line of David? Maybe. So if there was going to be, if there was going to be errors in who claimed to be a descendant of David, you would guess that there might be more people claiming to be a descendant of David than less. Than like Benjamin or something. Yeah. Yeah. 
Probably. So, but, but I think the thing to remember is that in a tribal culture, you may not remember exactly how. Yeah. But it's important to remember who. Right. And so at least as far as I'm one of these 12 tribes. Yeah. You can get to your lineage somehow. Yeah. Uh, and then, except in the case of bastards. Yeah. And then they're probably going to find a way to graft themselves into somewhere. Well, right. I mean, because remember, in, in, in Jewish, in Jewish um, thinking, as far as I understand, from at like the, the time period, and perhaps now, too, it's more about who you're raised with and how you're raised and what group of people you call family. Yeah. Rather than, like, any kind of uh, biological association. That's something, that's a sort of a, a Western European kind of framework that we kind of try to superimpose sometimes on scripture. And the beauty of that, if you look back even to Exodus, is they could graft foreigners hmm. into the tribe. Yes. And so it, it's not as exclusive of a community as you'd think. But while we're looking at the Exodus, if you remember the Exodus story and on really through the Pentateuch, what did God do other than killing people when God wanted to punish them? Exile them? A census. A census, really? When God got mad, God would say, hey, ha have a census. They hated censuses. Oh, you mean like uh, right after they entered the promised land, like when Joshua found out that somebody had sinned and they took each household house by house, and then they took each... Uh, household family by family and then they took each family like person by person until they figured out who the sin it wasn't just that event but often when Yahweh got mad Yahweh would call for a census mm. and the people hated it mm. and it wasn't there wasn't much of an explanation given in the Bible and so the assumption is a tax is coming or something like that and we open up Luke with that exact same scene okay we don't open it up we've already had some what do you think the, the, the effect is of, of, well, first of all, we don't have this census stock in any of the other Gospels, do we? No. So, did this really happen? You jumped to be the first to ask the question, so, I didn't, <laughs> so <coughs> I'm just going to go out and say it. As far as history can tell, no. Now, I am not um, such a product of modernity. I'm postmodern enough to admit that I don't have to have something be before me in front of my eyes to believe it. So history doesn't have to prove it. But there's no record yeah. of not just this not taking place, but there is no record of any sort of... Like large-scale... Large-scale, whole empire... Everyone report to your promised land so that with this decree, there's no, there's no historical record, third party attestation to this. Yeah, doesn't I mean it doesn't happen. Didn't happen. For all we know, well, it could have been put out among the Jewish people from someone under the name of Caesar and not from Caesar. We have no idea. Yeah, but so it, it's possible, but I see no evidence of it. Yeah, here's well, my question: that go returning to you. Then why write it? Because hmm. it puts Joseph Bingo. in Bethlehem. You've got to get your characters to the right place. Yeah. It provides some context. So I think, yeah. So that now we're getting into, like, you know, questions of, like, well, is the Bible lying to us or what? But I think it's important to remember 
what the point of this story is. And I know that you said that your professor said it's not a biography, it's not a history. Um, the scholar that I am reading, what's his name? His analysis is that this actually is a biography um, because it fits a lot of the uh, it fits a lot of the um, same characteristics as other biographies of great people in the Roman world. Charles Talbert. Charles Talbert. Yeah. yeah, I would recommend that if anybody's wanting to get like the what Charles Talbert's commentary is <coughs> good at is pulling in all of those sources that we wouldn't normally read from that time period. So he's, re he's read all of the like literature Source going documents. on in, um, in the Roman world. With, there's a lot of these characters, you know, Quirinius may be one of them, Herod definitely is. These people wrote letters to each other, and a lot of those letters have been preserved, so it's interesting to go back and see and cross compare. Anyway. That's like some nerdy stuff, but he suggests that this is a biography of a great person and that the purpose of the birth story, the birth narrative, is to demonstrate how did this person end up being so amazing later in life? What was special about his birth? Why don't we let that guy ask us we go through it? Okay. So they go to Bethlehem to be registered, whether she walked or was on a cart or she teleported, we do not know. <laughs> While they were there, the time comes for her to deliver her child. Yeah. We get no details. We have that statement that Jesus is about to be delivered. Yeah. And the next statement yeah. is in the past tense, she gave birth. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. To her firstborn son, careful. Yeah. Catholics may get angry at that. Well, there's another con controversy that the Gospel of Luke is not set up to answer for us, but... And wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Yeah. Well, I want to add some credibility to this passage to say that if there was a census and that all of the descendants of David for 500 years showed up in Bethlehem, there would definitely not be enough room in the inn. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it would be... There would be tens of thousands of people. It would be almost as bad as race week in Mooresville. Probably. Where you got all the NASCAR fans in the entire world descending upon the formerly towny town of Mooresville. Yeah. This is... Yeah, there would definitely... There would and not there be were enough... No mo, uh, uh, there were no RV slots left. Yeah. yeah. This is a good comparison. I've never been to Mooresville, and I've not no, been to go. race week, so... Highlights? Uh, you should go to a NASCAR race one day just to experience it, but um, don't go to Mooresville. Cool. Uh, anyway, so there definitely wouldn't have been room in the end. Any, it, and so they, this makes sense to me that there was, there was no space in town. I'm glad they found an innkeeper who was a little bit creative and thought, well, I mean, there's shelter. It happens to be uh, with the animals. We don't see the animals mentioned here right away. But we, we know they ate. We know they ate. Because they, there's a manger. There's a manger, so yes. they ate out of that. Okay. All right. So it happened. Then we jump into the fields. Yes. Okay. Shepherds living out in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Time out. I think it's important to note that we give a lot more detail to the scene description of the shepherds in the fields 
then we do the actual birth of the Savior. Hmm. Proceed. Well, I think it's important to note that all the characters involved in this story so far are either uh, migrants or homeless, because I'm pretty sure living out in the fields means they're, they're just sleeping out in the fields. With their I don't know how else you translate that now. Yeah, anyway, okay, so there we go. Uh, and angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be for all people, of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Okay, so I had to talk about this on Sunday. The word proclamation that you got me on. Kerygma. Yeah, kairugma, kairigma, however you want to. And I had to look it up. And the person who brings a kairugma is called a kairux, uh-huh. which is translated herald, a.k.a. hark the herald angels sing. Ah. So there's sort of like you already know something about the message that these angels bring by the fact that they are, bring, they are called herald angels. They're bringing a message of good news. And I wanted, I want folks to, to think about how we too are heralds. You know, we are bringers of the good news. And how do we do that? Well, do we, do we show up and stand before people and say the message? And somehow we all assume that that means you're up in the sky? Or do we, do we do so by interacting with them? By telling them what to do, by writing the nice letters, how how do we how do we bring the message? Well, I think Mary is my uh, starting point, at least as far as this story goes. Not in, you know the angels, they are heralds. They're bringing a message of good news, mm -hmm. which is meant to change someone's life. Like the angels don't show up and tell the shepherds just to like encourage them. Mm -hmm. They're like, this is going to change everything. We want you to know about it. And as soon as the angel leaves, the shepherds say, we should do something about this. Yep. It changes their lives. In the same way, Mary is carrying God, the word, if I can borrow from John. She is carrying the good news of the world. And, and it changes her life, but it's going to change everyone's life, too. So she is taking, she is embodying, she's the embodiment of charisma. Yeah. She's the bringer of the proclamation. Exactly. The carrier of. What? Good stuff. Glad you like it. Not that I don't. Well, what do you want to say about these shepherds? Is I... it curious to you that these are the people that get the news that the Savior is going to be born? It was at one point. Okay. But I kind of latched on to the shepherds. And when I think Christmas, my mind goes straight to them. And so I guess that I, I've kind of beaten the curiosity out of myself on that. Um, what made you curious at first? The, the thought that God chooses the last people that your average human being of the time would expect. Yeah. That shouldn't be curious to me. Hmm. Because throughout the biblical narrative, that's what we see. Shepherds probably were the last people to get any kind of news anyway, being yeah. so isolated. They were isolated, and 
Where does your com- your your large scale communication of important matters happen? In the in, cities. In the cities and in the temple. Yeah. And then through the religious system. And the shepherds had a job, and in many cases, or themselves, just by their heritage, whatever, the situation of being a shepherd often made them impure, mm-hmm. which forbade them from accessing the temple, the temple complex, the religious institution, and therefore the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's kind of ironic but I think more I don't, I don't think ironic is the right word I think poetic hmm. that God chooses the unlikely yeah and which is why it shouldn't have surprised me because all throughout the Bible that's exactly what God does yeah and yet even today we're surprised because you know what do we do we spend our time we think of uh, you know doing things that we think are going to make us more worthy we command that our worship styles, and I don't mean singing, I mean the whole liturgical practice, are you know, fitting what we think God wants, and that's fine. But in doing so, we think we're earning the acceptance and, and, and making ourselves more righteous. But over and over, especially in the Minor Prophets, mm-hmm. and on up through here, over and over again, we see God bypassing those people who work so hard to do what we do with mm-hmm. religion mm-hmm. and going to the people that they would walk right past. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a moment that forces you to look in the mirror and ask yourself, here's another Michael Jackson song, Man in the Mirror, and ask yourself, who am I walking past? Mm-hmm. Are these the chosen persons? Are, and are these perhaps the messengers that mm-hmm. are supposed to be bringing good news to the world and have we listened and, and uh you know for those who for for those like um my wife emily who have been raised in like a evangelical church experience and maybe heard a little bit too much angel language along the way and are kind of like eh, the word angelos means messenger yeah and so to me these shepherds are perform are performing the action of an angelos mm-hmm. Uh, by bringing the message that the angels, who are also messengers, gave to them. And, and it is a reversal, really, because I think in our day and age, if we wanted to get a message out, we would find the most prominent person that we knew, and we would put them in front of the biggest camera we had and post it on like the most popular channel or social media page. So when I was writing Pursuit, or when I was working on trying to get it published and trying to go the traditional route, I kept running into problems with Christian publishers. And one of them, to their credit, most of them, they're just like, I got time for you. But one of them, to their credit, called me back and, and had actually read it and said, look, we love this. There's one problem. And I want to go ahead and tell you this so you don't waste your time on other Christian publishers. Now, I did get one to bite, but then this whole other thing happened. But... I said, okay, well, thank you, because I haven't heard from anybody. What's the problem? And they said, the only requirement to publish a memoir is that you're already famous. Hmm. So for a Christian author to publish a memoir with a Christian company, you have to already be famous. Otherwise, who wants to read your story? And so we've run into that. 
This whole, yeah. you know, you look for the biggest, most widely known name that you can possibly find. Yeah. You know, the My Pillow guy, he can sell some books. Yeah. Because people know him. Right. But, you know, he, Court Green, Emily, you know, forget it. But. Yeah. No, that that is a challenge. And, I mean, if we're being honest and we look at this uh, literal, literarily speaking, the Gospel of Luke was written after Jesus was already famous. Yeah. Right. It's a biography or some other version of that that... Um, that is meant to help explain exactly who this person was and how they came to be who they are. And even though Jesus was already famous when all the Gospels were written, what is the first thing all of them do? Tying to John the Baptist. Yeah. Who, according to Josephus, was even more famous Interesting. than Jesus yeah. as far as following numbers. Yeah. And Luke's no different. And in, in, uh, it's like three or four times throughout the first few chapters of Luke there's a connection to John the Baptist, but then there's a uh, reiteration of the point that John the Baptist was not Jesus. the Messiah and didn't claim to be the Messiah and was was perhaps in the spirit and power of Elijah, but who prophesied of the coming Messiah, who is Christ. And even with all that fame and... A hype man like that, who does God give the message to? The shepherds. The shepherds. Why? Well, because now we're back where we started. Yeah. There's just, they're just, the one thing I can say about shepherds probably is that they know where they're going. They know how to get there uh, across fields. And across, yeah, you know, like out in the wilderness. You know, this is a time period where people, there was not the same concept of property. There were no there were probably not as many fences to have to go over or under. They could get from point A to point B pretty quickly, um, but it, for every other reason, it seems like exactly the wrong people. See, that's a very practical reason. I tend to romanticize it and think because these aren't the chosen, mm. and maybe God, at the outset, has a more global vision in mind. Hmm. Who is more prone to run across someone who's not your stereotypical Jew of the day? Hmm. The shepherd, because they're not worried about keeping themselves pure. Yeah. Who's going to take it to a Samaritan? Not a Jew. Yeah. Who's going to yeah. take it to a Greek? Not a Jew. Not if he wants to remain pure. Yeah. And so I think that you have a, a way, because they don't only get the message, they then see with their eyes. And then if they are then... If they are then changed enough that they want to tell the story, and good Lord, you know they want to, yeah. then it's likely that they will be telling people who your run-of-the-mill Jewish higher-up, not higher-up, uh, pious Jew of the day would not tell the story to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I see that here in 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 the work that I've been doing with flood relief. When we want to get the word out to people who survived the flood, like even it comes down to like Facebook followers and friends. Like, I'm sorry, but like you know, if I if I hire someone to be like a public relations person and they have like a you know, they have a degree in journalism from some university out east or up north or whatever. It doesn't matter. 
because they they don't have the connections to reach people where I need the message heard. Correct. Uh, instead, I'm going to go find somebody like Danica Clark, who lives in Crusoe, mm-hmm. lived in Crusoe her whole life. Went was to school a, with these people, knows them. Yeah, was a flood survivor herself. Definitely doesn't have a degree in journalism, but she can get the message out to people. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, you know, God works in, a, in in strange ways, but I think, you know, there's an intention there. There's an intention of who to bring this good news to. Why well, put the story here? Which story? The shepherd. Why tie the shepherd so closely to the story of Mary that you take this interlude where the baby's born, but we see nothing about him, just that he was born. And then there's this graphic graphic description of the shepherds, and kabam, there they are, looking at the baby that we still haven't got a description of other than it arrived. And then we get the closest thing that we get to a description of baby Jesus, and that is that they were amazed, and they tell Mary and bless her by telling the story, which she already knows from Luke 1, but now she knows that other people know, and it touches her. And so apparently there's something that changes in them and they return glorifying and praising God for all that they've heard and seen. Mm-hmm. So we know that there's something about this baby and that's about the only description that we get. Yeah. It's true. So why put the story, why tie them to the scene itself? I've got one idea, but it's probably not yours. Let me hear your idea. My idea is because we have to see that this child not because he's a child, but this character, Jesus, yeah. is truly remarkably different and life-changing. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just the angel that gave them excitement and wanted and the desire to go out and change the world. It's, it's the presence of Jesus himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something special about this child. I think that is the message that Luke would want us to here as well and what Luke would want his first readers to hear. I also wonder if there's like a sort of a privilege check in there. Maybe that's my 21st century woke perspective on this, but I'm thinking about these folks who are new Christians who are receiving the gospel of Luke as a form of catechism, as a form of religious training and understanding their beliefs, a narrative theology. And they may be like, well, I mean, who knew this? We knew John the Baptist, but we don't know anything about Jesus. I mm-hmm. mean, why wh- Why are you Christians the way you are? Who actually knew about this guy? Well, in Luke's gospel here, we see the shepherds knew about him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, shepherds, that they don't matter. It's like, oh, don't they? Don't shepherds matter? Aren't they human beings? Creatures of God, just like you and me? But uh, maybe that's me reading my 21st century lens onto this. It does fit Luke. Because uh, there were plenty of people <coughs> of much more status that came to the faith around the, t- you know, around the time that the book of Luke was, the Gospel of Luke was written, which is assumed to be between 80 and 100 A.D., roughly. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, maybe they had questions about what they were signing up for. And right, from the, right from the beginning, he says, this is a religion for all people. This is welcome... 
for everybody, especially the poor, especially the people who have been sleeping out in fields. Um, in fact, the angels went to them first. So, you know, <laughs> check your privilege at well, the door. Well, I mean, you look at, if we didn't read it today, but if you look at uh, who were the first two that know, Mary and Elizabeth, women. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, it goes beyond just the poor and just the alien, but it can, it's also, you can, Luke, Luke was a, uh, he, was, he was the most woke gospel writer, I believe. Yeah, yeah. he's definitely a social justice warrior, yeah. original. All right, so let me get back to Jesus. We see that it was important to Luke to show that the presence of Jesus changed lives. Does it still? Does it change yours, listener? Hmm. And if Jesus is alive, my contention is that the presence of Jesus should change us. I could even make the case, which I've heard stated by an atheist who was in my Religion 101 class at Greensboro College, that even if you don't believe Jesus was alive, the presence of the stories of Jesus should change your life. But I I do believe Jesus rose from the dead, so I'm not going to get too far into those weeds. Does the presence of Jesus in our lives today change us? And if it should but it doesn't, have we experienced the presence of Jesus in our lives? That's a good question. I'm not sure I can answer it. I mean, I think it's an important question for us all to ask. Uh, Jesus was exalted by God and is seated at the right hand of power, according uh-huh. to the Gospel of Luke. And Acts. Uh, and Acts. Volume 2. Volume 2. That's a elevation of who he was in his life. He was just a, basically a you know, son of David and um, healer. I, so we're t- now we're now getting into some weeds here. But I have a challenge for you about that? related to this because I know that sometimes you talk about, you know, Jesus and whether or not when it, when it was exactly that he became. Do we have time for this? Anyway. We have time. Okay, so. When does sunship sun happen? When does sonship happen? <coughs> well, this virgin birth thing to me is really important mm-hmm. because uh, without God's direct intervention into the life of Mary and Joseph, into, into the life of this family, which includes Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, I don't think Jesus becomes the right hand of the Father. Like, I, I don't think he earns that by his works. I think it, it, it is God's action to uh, enter the world through Mary in the form of Christ. And that that is what that is what sets him up for being this um, hero, uh, according to the Gospel of Luke, but then uh, exalted power of God uh, in the resurrection, I'm making a point that that obviously doesn't doesn't register. <laughs> I need to work on this before Sunday. Yeah, I'll take that one around the <laughs> around the landing script for a few few laps. Okay. Well, okay. Merry Christmas. <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? I don't know. Uh, 
I enjoy Luke. I enjoy the the world upside down, things on their heads. God's making things new, and the old order is going away. There's there's a even with the birth of Jesus in Luke and the the announcement to the uh, shepherds, there kind of already seems to be this apocalyptic um, something going on. Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. It's just a vibrant color. There seems to be an apocalyptic something going on already. Yeah. Because everything you know is no longer. God's doing something new. Yeah. And I think there's hope in that. And I think there's something to look forward to. And I'm glad that even beyond just the religious stuff and even beyond the historical stuff, I think it's nice that we have an annual reminder. Mm. That God is doing something new, yeah. always. But it's good every year to sit around and talk about it. Yeah, so. that's beautiful. No, and it's important. I mean, I've been walking my congregation through Advent w- with a series, you know, about what Advent is about, about preparation, about processing what has happened, about preparing the way of the Lord in our hearts. Um, and what I, what I've kind of be what has become my mantra regarding preparation is that this world um, which can be hurtful and harmful to us at times um, can be surprising can be difficult Um, we naturally as creatures try to protect ourselves from that so we build walls and barriers we harden ourselves off whether it's our hearts or our eyes or our ears or our minds Uh, you know, I went through a very difficult year this year. And so there are walls and guards up around my heart. And I believe that John the Baptist's message is to prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts by trying to remove some of those. Some of those are things that we can repent of. Allowing God to sit as a refiner, uh, as a refiner of silver, to purify us, to remove those... (coughs) Those impurities that we build up to protect ourselves. Why? Because the salvation of God will be revealed to all people. But will we see it as good news when it comes? I think that's the question. And, um, and so in Advent, I've been trying to encourage people, how do we prepare ourselves to receive this new creation, this new thing that God is doing as good news? Because change is not always something we want to see. Uh, but when God is doing it, like we can trust that it is good news. All right, shepherds, get out into the fields, look for the proclamation, and don't be surprised if it's nothing like what you expected. Merry Christmas for Pastor Potluck. Um, wait, I, I, you haven't been able to say Merry Christmas yet, have you? Merry Christmas from Pastor Potluck. I'm Peter Constantian. And I'm Court Green. Peace.